Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. How's everybody? How's everybody? Good. Okay. I was confused by that. I was like, y'all are still in the room, I think. I feel like I feel your presence in the room. We're continuing our series on uh, the hymns, and I hope, I hope that you're enjoying the series so far. We've got a handful left. We're going to have a few uh, guest preachers over the next few weeks. Uh, our very own Joseph Moore is going to be hitting us up in a couple of weeks, so y'all make sure to come up and support him on the 12th, and uh, don't give him too much of a heart. So you can heckle him a little, uh, as much as you heckle me, which isn't too much. So, Hey, I'm very thankful to be in this series. It's been a real pleasure uh, to just revisit these hymns, really, in a lot of ways, not just in worship, but also to think about where they, they came from and what they mean. And it's, it's amazing how well they fit into Scripture and how they speak to aspects of the Christian life that are so important to us. And just so you remember, the, the text that we have really based the whole series on is out of Psalm chapter 40, verse 3, where it says, He has given me a new song to sing a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what He has done and they will be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Now, you may have not picked up on this yet through what we've sang so far. You'll know for sure when we sing it in the end. But this week we're talking about the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness, one of the favorites. These are everyone that we've done so far are very well known and a very famous in a lot of people's top ten, if you will. Now, this particular one, is uh, very similar to some that we've discussed already in that it was made popular really through the Billy Graham Crusades. It's amazing how many of our hymns that have become so popular were popularized by, by him, really by George Beverly Shea, who sang for Billy Graham in all those many years at the Crusades. And so I think How Great Is, is Our God, there was another one in this mix already that really became a hit because of those Crusades. And so this one was written by one Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. He was born in 1866 in a log cabin in Kentucky. He gave his life to Christ at 27. Now the interesting thing about this particular hymn is that it's based on a life of his that was somewhat unstable. Uh, He alternated really between bouts of illness and gainful employment. He struggled to find uh, his place in a way. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of sickness in his life, but he found that he discovered new blessings every morning. That's what great is thy faithfulness, new mercies I find morning by morning, new mercies I find that this is part of the text there. And It's interesting where he based it out of. <laughs> it's a poem he wrote from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Now anybody in the room who's read any Lamentations know that's not a place where you go and write hymns. Lament is to weep, is to mourn. The, the lamentations are, are difficult to read. They're, they're dreadful in a way. And they're supposed to be. It's the prophet Jeremiah telling the people just how terrible it is that God's judgment has now fallen on them. And rightfully so. His judgment will lead eventually to His grace and His mercy. And He'll show them that. But Jeremiah gets to see all the negative. Poor Jeremiah. In fact, God tells Jeremiah this. He says, you're going to be a prophet. You're going to be my guy. And everything you tell the people, they're not going to listen. They're, ne- they're not going to do what you tell them at all, ever. They're never. He gives him like no hope. I'm like, man, I'm glad. I don't think that was my calling. I, I didn't hear God say, you know, you're going to go preach in Rocky Mountain. The people are not going to listen. There's a handful of you here today, so I guess I don't know what you're doing, but I think you're listening. I'm glad I didn't get the call of Jeremiah. Not many have. It's a difficult call. And he writes Lamentations. And it's, it's hard. It's hard reading. Except for right smack in the middle in chapter 3. Where it talks of God's faithfulness. This is where Thomas Chisholm was when he wrote it in 1923. Not a hymn writer himself, a poet really. And he wrote it and sent it to a friend of his named William Runyon. Who put the poem to music. And later... It was made popular by Billy Graham and his worship people. So I wonder as we dig in to this idea of the greatness of God's faithfulness, how that strikes you. Has God been faithful to me? We, we, we should often do this. We should take whatever topic or whatever scripture we're digging into 
and decide whether or not it's true. And we have to think about that. Has, have I seen God's faithfulness at work in my life? Or do I often question His faithfulness? Are there reasons I question it? Perhaps my past is really full of pain. Perhaps even now things just seem like they're going adrift. Maybe you've felt some sort of loss lately. Maybe the loss of a loved one. Maybe the loss of a job. The loss of a dream. Something you thought you would do in life and it's just not going to go that way, it doesn't seem. We struggle sometimes with brokenness of a relationship. <coughs> Maybe you're asking God, where were you in all of that? What, when we speak of your faithfulness, where were you in that moment? Whatever that is, you fill in the blank. The interesting thing is when, <clears throat> when Jeremiah looks back at his own suffering, sees his own affliction, he doesn't overlook it. He doesn't lie to himself. Like You might be challenged sometimes by others, like just forgive and forget. Look past it. Whatever the, whatever the brokenness, whatever the pain, whatever it was, look over that and just forget about it. But that's not what Jeremiah does. And in fact, excuse me, I've got like the never-ending phlegm. It's awesome. <clears throat> in fact, he looks at his suffering and he looks it dead in the eye. He doesn't, he doesn't decide to just forget it and overlook it as some people might challenge you to do. No, he, he stares right at it and he makes a decision. This is what it really means to follow Christ. It's not to look at pain or suffering and say, oh, it's not real, and lie to yourself somehow and say it doesn't exist. No, it's to look at it and say, but God's love and mercy is better. It's to make a decision to believe something beyond what you're seeing. That's what Jeremiah is doing. That's why he's able to write in the middle of a lament, I consider God's love, and it causes me to write, as, he will, as we will read in a moment, great is your faithfulness. Now, in Lamentations chapter 3, we see Jeremiah writing how he depends on God's faithfulness in the midst of his suffering. And we too can learn to do this. We can learn to depend on God's faithfulness in the midst of whatever Struggle we're dealing with. Thank you, Avery. And we can depend on His great faithfulness. And I think as we dig in, you're going to see really three pretty obvious points. Sometimes preaching is just so easy. Uh, maybe, maybe you're scared of public speaking or whatever. But I tell you, sometimes the, the Word just speaks and I just have to write down what I'm seeing. In fact, I try to do that every week. So we're going to dig in. Let's go to the book of Lamentations. It's towards the center of your Bible. There's Jeremiah and then there's the lament. <clears throat> we're not going to read the whole thing. You'll find out it's 66 verses. <laughs> Lamentations chapter 3, we're just going to read a handful. <clears throat> I'm going to get through this, I promise. Verse 19. I was singing good too, y'all. I was, I was feeling it. <clears throat> you're like, man, get somebody else up there today. Ah, we're going to do it. Lord, I don't know what's going on in this sermon, but I assume you want it preached, and I'm going to try to do it. Verse 19 of Lamentations chapter 3, it begins with, Remember, remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. It is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope this. What is it? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Why? Because the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. How do we do this? How do we depend on God's great faithfulness in spite of good, bad, whatever we're seeing? Well, the first is kind of peculiar. And that is to remember. To remember. What do we remember? We remember His merciful love. Now for Jeremiah, I would argue this is harder. It's actually easier for us. Why is it easier for us? Why would you say that? Why, Jonathan, why would, how could you possibly say that it's easier for me to, to remember God's love when you don't know what I've been through? You don't know what I've seen. 
Well, here's what I know is true. Jeremiah didn't know about the risen Jesus. Jeremiah didn't yet know about the crucifixion of our Savior. Those things are in the past, friends. Those are realities that are put God's merciful love on display in a real big way. And no matter what we're facing, we can at least say this, I remember that Christ died for me and that He loved me enough to do that. Jeremiah didn't have that yet. And so at least for us, we can remember that piece. Now there is more. <laughs> that is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg of what God's love has, has done and what is, it is doing in your life. Now, I want to point out something, and this is a bit heady, okay? I'll give you that. This is a little bit researchy, but I think you're going to like it. If you don't, tell me later. Don't tell me right now. I'm not ready because I did work hard on this. But I found out as I read through the Lamentations something I never knew. Chapters 1 through 4 are based on a Hebrew acrostic. Now, an acrostic is where you start each line with the next alphabetical letter. Now, that would make a lot of sense if this was if the English perfectly translated over. Now, when you look at these verses, you don't really see that. But in the Hebrew, it's like it starts, the first three lines start A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. Pop up this chart for me really quick. Now, a couple things you need to know. First of all, Hebrew, you read left to right. Okay, so that's a mind boggler. I know, I got you. But if you'll see on this side of the screen facing me over here, there's Zion, there's Ket, and there's Tet. The Zion kind of looks like a funny T. The Ket looks kind of like a pi symbol. And the Tet looks like a funny V. Uh, what you'll notice is that 19 through 21, each one of them start with that little T shape. That means he was careful in his poetry to make every line start with Zion. And then the next three, that pi looking symbol, he starts the next three with the letter Ket. And then... The last one, the letter Tet. Do you see it? Maybe, maybe not. If not, I'll show you later. But anyway, everyone starts with this. Now, there's a, why do I say that? Well, first of all, I just want people to remember that there's a, a, a certain beauty to the text of Scripture. That sometimes there are other religions that argue our, our book isn't as beautiful as perhaps their book. I would say false. I would say ours is extremely well written. In fact, I believe it's written by the Holy Spirit uh, the inspiration is the Holy Spirit under, uh, and these authors wrote it by His inspiration, and therefore there's a, an amazing beauty to it. And the very first word is that word Zion, which is in here is Zakar, which means remember. The very first word actually does translate perfectly over to the English, and that is remember. He makes a transition here. This lamentation, this chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, one writer says, this is a major chord in a book full of minor chords. Now, musicians know what that means. This is the idea. I'm going to play something for you. Give my voice a rest for a moment. Hey, turn this back on for a second. So, just to give you an example. That is a major chord. That's E major. Pretty, right? This is E minor. You felt your heart drop just a little bit, right? Like a little, a little choked up, a little. Ha! Ah. So what? What this particular section and the whole book? The whole book is, and then suddenly, get it? All right. That was fun. That was fun for me. If nothing else, it was fun for me. All of a sudden, there's a turning point. There's a turning point in the text where he goes from remembering. And if you go back and read Lamentations 3, 1 through 18, you will see him talking about some stuff that is mind-boggling. And, 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 and the Lord has done it, he says. The Lord has caused this judgment. The Lord has, has caused him lamentation. And then yet at verse 19, he says, when I remember all of those things, they're pale in comparison to when I think about this. And the this is love. Remembering God's merciful love. He says, my soul, in verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. This is, this is better life. This is better life advice. If you ever come to me, I, I pray this will be true, or if you come to one of your Christian brothers or sisters and say, hey, I've got this terrible heartache. I'm dealing with this awful thing that they would say, that's really rough. And I'm really sorry to hear that and, and try to show as much empathy and compassion as possible. But never wash past it and just gloss over it and say, well, that's all going to be irrelevant. God's going to move on. No, no, no. Instead, look right at that, whatever that is, and say, but 
In spite of that, in spite of the fact that this is soul deep, this is something that I'm never going to forget. Because the fact is, there are some things we faced we'll never forget. We could get dementia or something and still remember some of these hard times. That's why people, when they get Alzheimer's or these, these mental diseases, they'll often start referring to things that their families had never heard about, like war stories and stuff. Guys that had fought in wars, all of a sudden they're hearing about mustard gas and things they'd never told their families. Because those dark spots, they're in the soul. Jeremiah says, in spite of that, in spite of the pain that's soul deep, I choose His love. Because that's deeper. That's the argument he's making. That His merciful love is deeper. And he calls it to mind. Verse 21, you'll see he says remember, and then he says remember in verse 20. And then in verse 21, he says a word that sounds like remember, but it's slightly different. He says, I call it to mind. The word here in Hebrew is shuv, which often means repent. This is the idea that in verse 21, he makes a turning point. And he says, but still, in spite of all that I've gone through, I turn back. The idea of repentance is to make a 180. I make a decision that what I'm seeing here is pale in comparison to what Christ has done in me. I call that to mind instead. His steadfast love. And then the next section, verse 22, starts with the ket, which is chesed here, which is the closest thing we have to like an unconditional kind of love. When the Greek translates the Hebrew here, it comes out agape, which is a word that the church is more generally familiar with. We use it a lot when we talk in the New Testament. This is this unconditional, this kind of love that really we as humans, we get glimpses of it, but it's really hard for us to attain. And yet God is full of it. He is, he is agape. In fact, the Scripture says God is Agape. He is unconditional love, which means no matter what we do, no matter what we say, He still loves us and He has still paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. We, on the other hand, only come close to that maybe in a parenting relationship. But even then, i got to admit, sometimes my kids, I'm like, oh man, y'all got to give me a break. Y'all got to get away from me for a bit. It doesn't seem like God ever is like that. That God never needs a break from me. In fact, He longs or desires for me to be with Him. He doesn't need me, but He desires for me to be in His company always. It's an unconditional kind of love. And that's the word that He talks about here. Chesed, which is loving kindness, unconditional mercy, grace. It's all wrapped up in this. And He says, yeah, my life's a mess. I'm okay with that. I'm okay to look at my afflictions and all this terrible stuff. Go back and read Lamentations 1-3 through 3 up to this point. It's rough. Says, in spite of all that though, His love is better. His love is greater. It never ceases. Psalm, the psalm writer in Psalm 36 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. It never ceases. It never comes to an end. Then he says in verse 23, it's new every morning. It's fresh. That means not only is His love ceaseless, not only is it unconditional, not only is it beyond compare, that's all true. But it's showing itself in new ways all the time. Now, husbands and wives in the room, I, 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 would, I would point you to this text in, in a different way. This is just a sidebar, just a little something-something for you. It's good that you tell your spouse you love them and that you do nice things for them. And, you know, we all, we all receive love kind of differently. Some people want to hear it. They want encouragement. Some people want service. Some people want a hug. You know, there's a lot of ways that we experience it. But there's something that God does that we could try to model, and that is that He shows His love in a fresh way all the time. And that is, it would be nice in a relationship if you would show your love in a fresh way often. Or maybe go back to something you haven't done in a bit. You know, break out some of your old moves. The ones that won her over in the first place. Yeah. It's, those are hard to bring back though, Jonathan. It was a lot of work back then, man. I was trying to win her over and we'll keep trying to win her over. Keep trying to win him over. It's good. It's a good time. This is what God is saying here. My love to you shows itself in a fresh new way every day. Every morning. Because it's weird for him to say new every morning and when he's already just said, well, it's ceaseless, it's never ending. Of course, it shows up every day. But the idea here is a fresh new thing, a fresh expression. 
And, and I think if you would just pause for a moment and consider God's love for you, you would, you would observe that it has showed itself in a lot of different ways in your life. Sometimes it's blessing. Sometimes it's removal. I, I, I look now back at, at jobs lost at difficult times, both financially, difficult times in relationships. And a lot of times, that was actually God's love in a fresh new way. In a way I definitely did not expect, nor did I want. And yet it was God's love clearly on display. That He would move me from point A to point B. Because point A, the trajectory of my life on this course, was never going to get me here where He wanted me. That was God's love too. God shows His love in a fresh new way. It reminds me of something, and I think we could go through many passages of Scripture where God is putting His love on display in new ways. It reminds me of something He did with the people in the wilderness and that every morning they had to get up and collect manna. Now that, that might sound uh, kind of wild to you. Manna is some type of bread. We really don't know. What would heaven bread taste like? I'm really curious about it. For some reason, the people got tired of it. But let's just be honest. These were an obnoxious people. Not much different from me and you who can't eat the same thing every night. Let's just be honest. Like, babe, we just had McDonald's last night. And we should never have McDonald's anyway because we're going to die. It's going to kill us. <laughs> we just had that last week. Like, that's how far we got. We just had that last week. We have Taco Bell almost every Sunday, y'all. I'm just putting that out there. I'm throwing that out there. Why? Because it's easy, it's cheap, and I don't want to think about it. I know that when we leave this place, I don't want to think for a while because I've done a lot of thinking while I'm up here and talking. She goes and she gets the Taco Bell, and I go home and I eat the Taco Bell. Some things are great. For me, I think manna would be fantastic. That's just how I roll. I'd be down with that. No more thinking about it. And then on the weekends, they got quail and stuff. But, but God had a, he had a weird way of handling this. They weren't allowed to, to store it up. He wanted them to go out and collect it every day. He was trying to teach them something, even in feeding them. You understand this? That we should have a habit of coming to His presence and collecting His fresh expression of agape, chesed love, every day. You might say to me, well, Jonathan, I haven't been experiencing some fresh new love of God lately. And then I ask you, have you been in prayer? Have you been in His Word? You've been spending time with Jesus lately? Well, no. Well, I'm confused. I'm confused about how you thought you would receive it. Because if you don't show up at the dinner table, there's, it's hard to get the food. You've got to show up to get the food. He showed them manna every day and He wanted them to collect it. And it would actually go bad overnight if they tried to store it. Because he wanted him to come back every day. Because God's showing off like that. Now there was one day he'd let him collect it and keep it. And that was on the Sabbath because he was teaching him another lesson. He's constantly teaching. That's his love for us. That he's trying to make us greater. More like his son Jesus. And then he ends this little passage, this little piece of scripture with verse 23. Where he says, they're new every morning. And that causes me to say, great is your faithfulness. Abounding. Steadfast. It's amazing. God calls us. To remember His love because it changes our hearts when we do this, church. When we, when we remember His love, it changes something in us. There's, I could go throughout all kinds of Scriptures. Here's just a handful. Deuteronomy 8, it says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you can would keep His commandments or not. He says, I charge you to remember the way the Lord has led you. Isaiah 46 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And the psalmist writes, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Remember His love. Remember it. The verse, the first two verses of our hymn today, it says this, and this will probably ring clear to most of you who are familiar with the song. It says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. And then this one sounds so much like supply. I think he was definitely honing in on verse 23. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. 
sun, moon, and stars in the course above. They join with all nature in manifold witness to Thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. He is good to us and has been good to us and is showing Himself in amazing ways day in and day out. The question is, are we going back to the well? Are we remembering that? Are we just looking at the awful stuff we're facing and never trying to come back to the table? This might turn from bad to worse. The situation doesn't even have to get worse, but if all I do is focus on it and I don't receive grace, it will, it will feel deeper and deeper. Instead, I'll do like Jeremiah and many saints of old and come over here and say, you know what, but God's grace to me, His love for me is greater. Church, do you only see your hurts? Maybe ask some of your friends today. Ask your family today. We like to call this pessimism. Um, that's a funny way of, of saying basically that all I ever see is the negative in things. It'd be good to sit down for lunch today over Taco Bell if you want. And ask your spouse, ask your kids if you've got children. That's even better. They're like, they're uncomfortably honest. In fact, I was told I was fat a couple times recently, and that hurt my feelings a lot. <laughs> made me kind of mad. I've been really trying to work on that, and, and I'm getting close to 40. It's just not, it ain't going the same as it once did. I used to could just think about not eating, and I'd lose weight. Just thinking about it. Oh, there we go. It's not the same. And They'll tell you the, the, the staunch truth, though, man. And Just ask them this today. Ask, ask your loved ones. Ask friends. Go over to dinner. and Do I always talk about what, what's bothering me? Is, is that all? When I speak, do I often talk about the things that hurt? The things that are going wrong in my life? Am I a complainer? Am I pessimistic? I don't know. You phrase it however you want. Now, the scary thing is, you already know. You already know. I see some of you looking at each other because you're like, I know what you're going to say and you better not say it. You better not tell me the truth. Because Jeremiah chooses something else. In Christ Jesus, I want you to understand something. We're made new. That even our afflictions have been forever changed. They look different now to me. When I look back at things that hurt a whole lot, I go, but look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did in spite of that. He's changed even the way I view my affliction. Will you remember how Christ has died for you? How He's walking with you even now? I challenge you there. I challenge you. As I challenge myself, I want to remember His love over my pain. Here's the second. And this one really hones in primarily on verse 24, and that is hope in God as our portion. Hope in God as our portion. Remember His love. Remember His mercy. Where does your hope come from? Now, this is a troubling, troubling sentence for some of you, and you don't yet even know it. Hope in God as our portion, not in hope in God as my provider. I was careful not to say it that way. Because it's really great that God provides. It's really great that He's constantly doing and, and, and showing amazing love in our life. And don't hear me say He doesn't do that, because He absolutely does. But that's not my hope. My hope is not in God's hand. My hope is in His presence. My hope is that He'll be with me. I hope you see the subtle difference, in fact, there. It's not in His provision, but in His presence. There's a big difference in what Jeremiah is saying here. He says, my portion, that is my share. He chooses His share, and it's not a material good. It's not a possession. It's not a position. He says, the thing I want is you. I don't care what's going on around me. And Jeremiah's about to fight. He's about to fight for his life and it's not going to go well. And yet he can say, as we can say, but God, you're my portion. You're the thing I really want. Not what you can give, but who you are. So our hope then comes not from what God gives us, but who he is to us. Church, we would do well to learn this one. We would do very well to learn this one because... This is sharp. This is going to come out sharp, and I don't know how to, to dull the blade, but we live in a culture, at least in American culture, where even the church is starting to teach something that's just false doctrine, and that is the idea that if we follow Christ, all of our, our diseases will be healed, all of our wealth will be stored up and amazing. If we give them money, then we're going to see it come back tenfold, and God can do that. Don't hear me say He can't do that. He can and yet that's not the point. 
It's not the point of Scripture. And there's people all around you, even right now, that call themselves Christ followers, and that's deeply at the core. And when they find out that God doesn't cure every disease, it shipwrecks their faith. And they go, well, I must not, either A, I don't believe enough, I don't have enough faith, and that's what people will say, or B, God's fresh expression of His love is actually to help walk you through that. Oh, I don't know if I like that God. And yet it's who He really is. That He wants you to be more like Christ and that in order to get you there, it means I've got to go through cancer. In order to get me here, it means I've got to lose that job because that, that job was killing me. It was warping my brain. It was causing me to get, veer off course. God, your best for me was actually <laughs> that he or she finally broke up with me, you know. I got some young folks in the room. Hey, sometimes the best thing that can happen to some of you young folks is for he or she to say, yeah, I think it's not you, it's me. <laughs> well, praise God, because I agree, it is you, and you need to go on. Because it's so true. It's just so true. And God does that, and it hurts. I've been through breakups. You know, I never got the joy of breaking up with someone else. I don't know if there's joy in that. I've been broke up with. I look back on that and go, Lord, thank you. <laughs> Lord, thank you. Because I'm Facebook friends with some of those people. Like, dodged a bullet. Really did. Actually, the bullet just, just totally just it came at me and just went the other way. I didn't even have to dodge it. It left. That's great. We don't understand somehow that, that this is the greatest news of all is that not only do we get God's provision, that's great, but that's nothing. What we get is far better, and that is His presence. That God says, Emmanuel, God with us. That the, the incarnation of Christ is not just what He did. It's that He's with us. He's, he's, he's in our life. He has sent His Holy Spirit. He's walking with us day by day. That is a far better portion. I hope you can see that. That no matter what you're going through, the, these losses, these pains, these afflictions, these sufferings, God is with you in it. And He's training you and teaching you in spite of it. Sometimes with it. This is a better hope. And it's more true, it rings more true, because now I can face life and go, well, sometimes it's joy and it's, it's ups, and there's lots of this in life. I hope you never hear me in my preaching saying, well, life as a Christian is always going to be bad. It's not so. There are many, many times where you feel blessed and where you're restored, and then there's other times where you're in pain and there's hurt. But the greater news is that no matter where you are in the spectrum of blessing, God is with you. His presence is your portion. And that's better. Aaron, the high priest, this is back in Moses' day. He's the first high priest. He was given the greatest portion in the whole promised land. I don't think a lot of people caught this. I think when God says this to Aaron, maybe not a lot of people noticed. Like Reuben was given this portion. Simeon, Levi, or Aaron's in the house of Levi, so scratch that. But Reuben, Simeon, all these others, Dan, uh, Naphtali, and and all these people are given these Manasseh. Manasseh is some huge tribe. It gets like one on one side of the Jordan, one on the other. they got these wonderful possessions and they're, they're given these allotments, these portions, if you will. And yet to Aaron, he says, I'm not going to give you land. To the Levites, I'm not going to give you land. He gives them something way better. Numbers 18, he says, The Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. Why? Because I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. I am your portion. Guess what, church? We're given this now. A kingdom of priests is who we now are. In Christ Jesus, we've been called to this. And He is our portion. Yeah, He'll give us land. That happens sometimes. He'll give us blessings. Yeah, that's great. But that's not the good news. The good news is Christ Jesus is our portion. Do you see that today? Are you feeling that? I hope so. That you're putting your hope there. Observe this biblical theme that God is our portion. It's all throughout. Psalm 16, it says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 73, My flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist gets this well. You'll see this often throughout the book of Psalms. He is my portion in spite of my failings. And now in Christ Jesus... Jesus is our portion. Look what Paul writes in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. That's the best part about being a believer. Christ in me. The hymn writer writes this in verse 3, Pardon for sin and peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Do you see it? Your presence. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. We can place all of our hope in all kinds of things, church, in our jobs, in our incomes, in our, in our relationships, in our future dreams. But inevitably, all of these hopes are rather insignificant and they won't hold water until we finally put our hope in Him as our very portion. Here's the last and final, final way that we can depend on His great faithfulness, and that is seek God's best. Seek God's best. Now, it's almost redundant because seeking anything from God will be the best. But I wanted you to see this last little section clearly. These three sentences, verses 25, 26, and 27, start with the word tob, which means good. Again, we're dealing with this acrostic where everyone starts with this. And so the people reading in that day would have read, good it is to follow God. Good it is to wait and seek for Him. Sounds kind of like Yoda, but for them I think it would have made sense. Good, good it is that God does this. When you see something a couple of times, I think you've been hanging out with me long enough to know that when the Bible does something repetitive, it's significant. When it does it three times in a row, it's telling you to intensify it. And the only way we know how to do that in English is to go from good to better to best. So what is he saying? Seek God's most good, His best. Seek it with all your heart. Wait patiently on it. He says the Lord is good to them. How is He good? It's, it's a matter of excellence. He's, he's better. He's greater to them. It's of greater value when we wait and we seek. Now this is a funny thing to say. Wait in verses 25 and 26 is to look eagerly for. In fact, the Hebrew has the idea of lingering. So I'm going to hang out. I'm going to linger in this place with God until He shows up. I'm not going to walk away until I know that God is on the move. I'm going to wait patiently there for Him with eager expectation for His presence and observe those fresh mercies that come every day. Now, I'm not going to get there unless I'm putting the time in. It's funny how we're, we totally get this in every other aspect of our life. We know if we don't put the time in, we're not going to get the results. You're not going to overnight get abs. You've got to do some crunches. And at this point, you've got to diet. It's, just, it's a two-parter and it's, it takes a long time. A really long time. Most of us give up. That's why most of us don't have abs. Sorry, it's just true. And it's it's why a good relationship relationship it takes time. You get you got to keep you got to keep working at it. You got to keep communicating. You don't just get to a point where okay, now I know we 100% love each other. So now I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Because just so you know, I don't really like talking that much. I know that's confusing, but it's true. When I leave here, I don't really want to talk for the rest of the day. God called me to do this. I don't know why, but I'm doing it the best of my ability. I don't like talking all that much. And so it would be nice for me to just say, okay, she fully loves me. I don't need to talk anymore. That would kill her, or she would kill me. Most likely she would take me out. And so we know that these things, they take work. And that's what the writer is saying. Jeremiah is saying, he's saying, you want God's best? You want to experience those fresh new mercies? I wonder, are you lingering around in His presence? Are you waiting patiently? Because sometimes God, He takes His time. And there's a reason even for that. Even in that is His love and mercy. Because He knows you're impatient. He knows that you don't really know what you want. And the things you're asking for, you think, well, He's not hearing me. And actually, He's already responded. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to go that route. So you better linger in and seek and wait some more. Till you find out what His real ultimate plan and purpose is. I wonder, are you seeking? Are you hanging out? This, this word seek means to, to inquire of, to consult. How do I do that? I do that in prayer. I do that in His Word. I don't make the decision that, well, I'm just going to ask others what God has to say about this. I'll go see Pastor Jonathan. He's got a, a direct connection and if I tell him, hey, I want to know what the Lord has to say about this, I, I don't know if he'll even tell me if you're not putting in the hard work. He probably won't because his, his greater goal is you and your life change. Seek, inquire. Seek his best. This reminds me of a story 
kind of an odd story in, in the Gospels where there's these two ladies, Mary and Martha, who Jesus appears to visit quite often. They have a brother named Lazarus. And He visits there quite a bit. It's a place of, of rest for Him where He can come and kind of kick back. And they take care of Him and they serve Him there. And there's this one particular scene where Jesus is in their house teaching His disciples. It seems like there's a crowd. It seems like there's a handful of people there outside of just those common folk that run with Him most of the time. And in this scene, you see Martha in the back room serving and working hard and doing something that seems legit. Like if, if we really want to think about the story, it seems like Martha's doing something really, really great for God, for, for Christ, that she's back getting the food ready, getting ready to serve the, the, this, this crowd, which is a lot of work. And she comes in and complains because her sister Mary has been sitting in there at the feet of Jesus listening and not working. And we have to admit the habit the, the culture of that day, would, the, the women wouldn't normally sit in the teaching with the men when they're supposed to be you know, working in the kitchen. Now, I know that, that makes a lot of y'all angry. Deal with it. It's just a different culture. And so she walks in and goes, Lord, can't you see what my sister is doing right now? She should be helping me serve. Can you tell her to come and help me, basically? And Jesus does something that blows probably everybody up in the room. He says this, and this is in Luke chapter 10. He says, Martha... In fact, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, what does that story tell you? It tells you a lot of things that sitting at the feet of Jesus is the most important thing you can do. That's clear. That being in prayer and in His Word and spending time with Christ is the best. It is the best portion. But even more than that, it also tells you that Martha was doing something that seems good, serving and taking care of people. In fact, the Bible talks about the gift of service and hospitality, and these things are important. So what she's doing is good, but it's not the best. And do you want to know something? Something that I learned from, from a book called Good to Great, and that is the, 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 the direct enemy of great is not bad. It's not evil. It's actually good enough. The, the, the worst decision we can make as people to, to avoid greatness is to decide, well, that's good enough. We'll never be great then. We'll never see God's best when we just say, well, that's good enough. It's good enough that I come to church on Sundays. Jonathan, you don't realize just how difficult it is just to do that. Just to get up on a Sunday morning and come hang out with you weirdos, that's enough. Okay. Well, I can tell you, and I can tell you this confidently, you're not going to find God's best. Because that's good enough when the Creator of the universe, the Savior of the world, wants to spend time with you every day, as much as He possibly can have. He created you for Himself, not for whatever work you do. He created you first for Himself. You want to know how to get God's best? Spend time with Him. This won't be enough. It won't even be close. We're in the Word of God for 30 minutes. It's not enough. Mary chose the good portion, the better portion. And that is this, this yoke of salvation that He closes with. Now that is an interesting thing to say, Jeremiah, to close this thought, this thought that the Lord is good to us and that the best comes with bearing a yoke. That probably made almost no sense to the Hebrew people because that sounds like slavery again. And they're, they're about to head into that. They've already been through that in Egypt and they're about to go into exile again. The yoke doesn't sound good and yet it's the very words of Jesus. <laughs> it's ironic to me. Well, it shouldn't be because the Word of God is just that cool. That Jeremiah would write yoke and Jesus would pick the theme back up again and say, you know what the best thing you can do? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And he reminds us of something. And this is in Matthew 11. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the best thing I can do, a yoke is a thing you put between work animals. If you had two oxen, get, get the level just right. This big old thing, and it seems heavy. And yet Jesus says, My yoke... Is light. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I think he's saying some things that are true, that no matter what we do in this life, we're going to carry some kind of yoke. 
And he's saying, there's, there's only one yoke that makes any sense for you. I've shaped it perfectly. I've designed you. I've designed the yoke to follow me in the perfect way. And it's light and the burden is light. The yoke is easy. And he's saying, just what Jeremiah has said. Go ahead and put it on. John Gill says, especially it is good to bear the yoke of Christ, to embrace His doctrines, profess them, submit to His ordinances since His yoke is easy. And it leads to true rest. And he reminds us of something that I know there's a few of us in the room that wouldn't necessarily consider themselves youth. But this is for you either way. Young people in the room, here's what Jeremiah is saying first. It's easier to start, go ahead and decide to follow Christ now. You might not know this, but it doesn't get easier to do. Life just keeps hitting you harder and harder and for a lot of people, they never put the yoke of Christ on. He's saying, in my youth... He's speaking of his own personal experience, but also a good message to others. But there's a better theme of that, that no matter where you are positionally today, it's a good time to follow Christ. Now, now is good. Don't wait. Do it now. Because God wants my very best. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The psalmist writes, seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. This calls the hymn writer to write the refrain, the main chorus of Great is Thy Faithfulness. He wrote, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed Thy hand hath provided. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Will you choose the best portion? Are you good enough with good enough? I'm fine with it. I'm fine with being average. Well, if that's you, I'm sorry to hear that, friend. It's not what God has for you. He has far more. He has a much greater purpose. Will you seek His best or just good enough? Will you depend by remembering His love, by hoping in Him as your portion, not just His provision, but Him as our very presence and also seeking is best for us. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, I, I come to You first just with a heart of thanksgiving that I know, I know full well, well that there are people in, in the room with me now, Your church, Your congregation, some of which have experienced worse hardships perhaps than me. They've... They've been through some things that I haven't had to go through. There have been some things, sure, in my life that perhaps they didn't go through either. And we all see things a little uniquely. Sometimes something that's devastating doesn't, doesn't cause everybody to get downcast. But Lord, I recognize that for everybody in the room, we've had pain. There's been afflictions. I would argue maybe none of us have had it quite like Jeremiah, who had to deal with a great many tragedies. But I know this, Lord, no matter what, no matter how we come into this place, I'm reminded today that Your love is beyond compare. That in spite of the pain in my life, the things that You're still healing me of, and the, the pains to come, because sometimes life is difficult. That in spite of those things, in spite of what I see or am going to see, Lord, I, I can remember Your love. <laughs> and it's so clear. It's so clear when I think about Christ Jesus. When I think about this, this wonderful cross, this, this wonderful resurrection, when I consider those things, it's hard for me to not notice just how much You love me. And it's more than that. You weren't done there. You have a purpose for me. In You I can find true rest. In You I can find peace and joy. My life's purpose makes sense in You. No matter how you've skilled me mentally or with my hands, Lord, no matter what it is I do work-wise, Lord, that inside of all of that is your great, fantastic purpose. How much love and mercy you've shown us, God. I'm reminded of that today, and I'm praying something boldly, Lord, that you would show that. Not just to me, but, but to that person in the audience right now that's really, really depressed, really in a hard spot. Maybe life's really hit them hard lately. Maybe it's just been hitting and hitting and hitting and they can't seem to understand, God, what are you doing? 
We speak of your faithfulness. God, how is this faithful? God, would you do something only you can do? I pray it boldly, God, would you please show up in a way in that person's life that they wouldn't be able to miss it. That your love for them, your mercy for them is greater. That when they think about you, new, new mercies every morning appear. I pray for this, for your church, your people, for myself, that we would be seeking, that we would be searching for you, that we would be lingering in your presence until you show us those new fresh mercies every day. God, give us the courage to do it, the boldness, the patience. I pray that. Lord, I lift this up that perhaps there's someone in the congregation today that's come today and they're feeling distant from You. They recognize that they've not accepted Christ Jesus for themselves. That they can't really fully understand, God, what You're doing and how Your love has been poured out for them in this clear way in the cross because they've not yet said a confession of faith themselves. I pray that right now their heart's being stirred. That, God, You're moving them towards Yourself. And if that's You today... And if you're willing, say a prayer of confession with me. The Bible says in Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. We believe that as a church. We stake our, our faith in that, that God receives us at confession, at faith. If that's you today, pray with me. These words. Jesus, I believe You are Lord of my life. What that means to me is, I believe you're in charge, you're king. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin, my brokenness, my, my guilt, my shame. You, you've paid for it already. I'm thankful to get to give that to you, to lay that at your feet now. Those things that have just been a burden in my life, I, I give them now to you, knowing that you've already paid for them. And God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the grave. I believe in the cross and the resurrection. And that gives me hope not only that my sin has been dealt with, but also hope for a future knowing that Christ Jesus is alive. And God, I'm asking now, would you change my life? Guide my steps? This idea of a purpose that you have for me and showing me new expressions of love and mercy every day. I want to see that for myself. Would you guide my, guide my course? Dear friend, if you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. And we're praying with you that same kind of prayer that, God, you would guide our steps. I pray for our people right now, including myself, that we would create habits of seeking. That would, it would never be enough for us to just come together once a week, but that we need to see you every day, every moment of every day if we can. That, God, you're doing some amazing things in, in our lives if we would just come into your presence. God, I'm praying for your people right now that we would create habits of spiritual discipline. Be with us, walk with us as we go throughout our work week. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.